But I also think those are the things that I love about San Francisco, a place where culture and identity are respected, celebrated, quirky, unique, and strange. That was Maitri Compassionate Care's Executive Director, Rusty Smith. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, we get to know Rusty through his life story, which involves lessons he learned at an early age through his firebrand liberal mom. Then we turn to Maitri's development director, Tomas Moreno, and learn a little bit about this Modesto native, his college experience, and his move to San Francisco roughly a decade ago. Here's Rusty, followed by Tomas. I come from a family. Uh, my dad was a career military person, so I've lived all over the world. Okay. Right? And so all over the world means all over the world. So Japan, Korea, Germany. Wow. Uh, and then all over the United States. My dad did base reorganization. He was a military guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means we went to almost every state here. Wow. I know. Have you been to every state? If all 50? All but one. I haven't okay. been to Alaska. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so that is a bucket list. There you go. There you go. I don't like the cold, so it may be the end bucket. So, but I also want to say yes. I'm prone to hate really cold places. So it's really last bucket. Okay. Right? <laughs> okay. So, so I'm not rushing to okay. get there. Okay. Uh, but so just to say, then I actually, for almost 15 years of my life studied to be a Catholic priest. Okay. And then I also lived all over the place for a time. I was a Jesuit, Society of Jesus. Okay. Uh, And I have always been very, very liberal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that actually starts probably my my history that connects me to Maitri. Uh, Back in the 1980s, I was actually stationed in Houston, Texas. Okay. Uh, I'm from Fort Worth originally. I am so Much different. Sorry. Me too. Right? That's kind no. of why I live Because here. as soon as you said that, I feel traumatized. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I no, because for, there are areas of Texas you want to live. Yeah. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but there are other areas as an out gay man yeah. that I don't want to live. Right. And uh, Fort and Worth one of those. Yeah, Fort yeah. Worth is one of those. Houston, though. Much more liberal. Right, right. There's Much there's, more liberal. There's parts of town and communities and... And actually a fairly supportive community. But in the 1980s, it wasn't. Okay. And at those times, actually, I was an out gay priest working with people who were dying from AIDS. Okay. And the early 1980s, everyone died. Right. Everybody did. Right. Uh, And in those days, I actually was also a case manager at the Montrose Counseling Center. Uh, and it was one of the very few in the country openly gay treatment facilities for people who had gay and lesbian issues, mm-hmm. as well as those who had AIDS. Mm-hmm. And in those days, uh, as I had sort of said, everyone died, but also no, there was no hope. There was no treatment. AZT was still experimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those early days, and I hope I won't go to jail for saying this, one of the things I did is for some of the patients that I worked with, they would will their extra AZT to me mm. in their in their will. Wow. And that AZT would enter the black market because very often people didn't have access. Right. 
so that's sort of where I started uh, in HIV AIDS. Can I ask, going yeah. back a little bit, um, yeah. what it was about being a priest? What, what yep. drew you to the church? Yep. As a little kid, I believed uh, I was called to be a priest. Hmm. And actually what prevented me from getting there earlier is because the church was mean. Um, it, the church didn't have a warm and loving and accepting role for people who were, were gay. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that preserved my journey was actually being a Jesuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Society of Jesus was always very open. They had lots of rules, but they had this one rule that it was okay to be gay as long as you didn't do anything about it. Uh, yeah, those were those days. Like... Like practice what is, uh, your what was sexuality. The, was it was the called, Clinton policy, don't ask, don't tell? Kind of like <laughs> well, that? Kind of like that? It was, a, it was the new revised policy okay. that was built on the Catholic Church's idea that you had to be celibate. Right. Uh, right? So you could be, but you couldn't act. Got it. Um, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and just to say, actually, during the, the period of my work in HIV and AIDS is really when I decided I couldn't stay in the church. Okay. And I left and actually became an Anglican priest. Okay. Very liberal, very open. Uh, and is that the same thing as Episcopal? I'm sorry it for is my ignorance. It is not. Okay, very much not. It is okay. not. <laughs> okay. And I say that, again, to be really uh, prescriptive. They're not the same because I actually joined the Anglican communion that believed that gay and lesbian people really could actually get married mm, wow. sacramentally. Okay. Okay. And the Episcopal Church hasn't come to this wisdom Still. until very recently. Oh, they and have. Not, oh, but just barely. Okay. Uh, I would only say barely, barely. Okay. Uh, because even now, it's sometimes hard to find an Episcopal priest that will perform a sacramental marriage uh, for people that are gay and lesbian and transgender. Wow. Uh, so I belong to the church the most liberal in the entire universe. You went church shopping. I did. And you found the best I did. for you. For me. That's awesome. And I just say my background just briefly is liberation theology. Okay. So even back and throughout my life as a priest, I've been considered doomed by most Christians. Because I've always welcomed, loved, and embraced all. And throughout that history, I've been a prison chaplain. I've been a prison, I mean, I've been a a chaplain to people living on the streets. Mm -hmm. I've run only organizations that uh, work with people on the margins. Mm -hmm. And so why I'm here. Uh, This is really the culmination of my entire career. This. This. Was there something about your family or maybe living in so many places and things you saw can you yep. pinpoint something or some things were you were you raised catholic i guess first of half all? and half okay uh, so i i come from a bi ooh uh, <laughs> as i said it mm, that's thoughtful i <laughs> come from a bi family okay <laughs> bi politically and bi religiously okay <clears throat> Uh, my dad was a, that's funny, he, I never really thought about this way. He was a, a career military officer right. who was Republican mm-hmm. and Episcopalian. Okay. I come from a mother who was not, she was Roman Catholic, l- less conservative, and a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And so I came from a very mixed 
environment. But it's interesting with something you asked that I think is true. I have always lived in so many places where mm. nobody looked like me. Mm. Right. Nobody. And so I assume everybody was raised that way, mm-hmm. and they were not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was also raised by a mother who was a human advocate for equality wow. my entire life. Wow. Uh, in my family, uh, she taught and made people in my family group, which includes cousins and friends of mine, mm-hmm. know that the rest of the world and the world we live in uh, is one where everyone's equal. Uh, and I want to give a very, very brief story of yes, this. Uh, when I was in high school uh, is when busing started in mm-hmm. 1970s. Mm-hmm. Desegregation, integration. All of that. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep. And I went to a Texas high school where there was not one black student. Okay. And during that time, uh, we started busing. Mm -hmm. I had, before that, we traveled all over the world, and all of those schools were integrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of people and all of my friends, nobody looked like me. And so many of my friends' parents would stand outside my high school and protest black mm. children coming to our schools. Okay. And I would like to share a story that my mom would be both proud of and I would be terrorized of. <laughs> okay. uh, I was sort of a big deal in my high school. I played football. Um, and one day, uh, my mom was dropping me off at school and all of these buses were in front and all of these parents were standing outside calling these black young people, horrible things. Right, that we won't repeat here. We won't repeat. Right. My mom, who got to her crazy place in one second, slammed the brakes on the car, exited the car, and started screaming Mm. at these other parents, what the hell are you doing? Mm. And that made one of the largest impressions on me in my life. That's brave i mean especially where you were right okay no and at the time i have to say and i recoil because i was embarrassed at my mom and i wanted to die mm-hmm. but as i reflect back it's probably one of the proudest moments yeah awesome of me watching my crazy mother and i do want you to know there was no dignity to it Right, right. She was full on screaming. Yeah. Uh, And as I have reflected back on that, that was that moment when Mm. I was like, whoa. That's when I learned that we stand up. We are not silent. Uh, And I think it shaped who I became. Absolutely. Do you, I'm going to dig. Yeah. Uh, Do you know what it was about her life? That made her that way? I do. She was raised in New Mexico. And yes. And she, my granddad, was a liberal. uh, She used to call him something. I don't think I can repeat. (laughs) But no. He traveled New Mexico as a Democrat. As long as it's not an epithet. We can cuss on the show. Well, no. But I have to tell you, (laughs) my mom wasn't a cusser. Oh, but 
but my grand- That's how Catholic she was. <laughs> well, but Mother Mary, she, my granddad believed that human equality was the texture of life. I love it. And he worked on the railroad. He knew and shook hands with everyone in the neighborhood, and everybody was welcomed in his home. Amazing. Passionately. Yeah. So that's where she came from. Okay. Uh, And so when people divided themselves because of who and what they looked like. Mm-hmm. My mom would not tolerate that. I love that. And and then yeah. and then all of that and then here we are. Yeah. And so here we are. And, um, and I do want to say this this one part is I chose this job not because it was the high pay job, not because it was the easiest place to come and work. It was actually started from when I was in Houston, Texas, and promises I made to the people I worked with that we would never forget the people who were dying of AIDS, never. And at, as I come to the end of my career, I'm not dead, but <laughs> I'm old enough to where this is the place I choose to spend my life doing this work. Okay. Um... How much of your time in Houston uh, do we want to talk about? And, and was it directly Houston to here? or? Oh, no. There okay. are so many. And just to say, that's actually a great question. Uh, I rebuild failing nonprofits. Okay. That's what I do. It's my full-time ministry. I feel like if it, if it could be glamorized a little bit more, that could be a TV show. You're like the <laughs> nonprofit fixer. Oh, my God. He goes into yes. towns and just... Oh. Do I get outfits? I want outfits. It's your show, yes. That's right. Okay, so yes. So, don't mock me. (laughs) So, yes, it is that kind of show. And And just to say so many places, when I left what we would call the traditional church, I ended up at a homeless shelter in Houston, Texas, that was about to go out of business. Mm. And the Catholic Church actually trained me to rehab failing Catholic high schools. Hmm. So I did that. My background work is learning how to come to organizations, help them identify what's most important, always the people we serve, and to run it like a business. Hmm. And and to sort of make a, a sacred relationship with the people who give us money and the people we use that money to serve hmm. that we will never waste a dollar or a dime. Wow. And Tomas would tell you, and I won't look at him as I say this, I am the cheapest human being <laughs> in all of creation. That's, it's served you it's, and served the organization. My family, my husband is on a budget. Okay. I maintain the budget and I believe actually, and I mean this, that so many donors have been told so many lies mm-hmm. about how we care for people and with people. Hmm. Not just here. Everywhere. Okay. Because we spend money on things that are not essential to the care of those we are called to serve. Right. I don't do that. No. And we don't do that here. So part of uh, your, your nonprofit fixing includes yep. reducing, eliminating waste. Always. It sounds like. Being smart about how you spend. Always and everywhere. And it actually comes from that idea that I was learned and I was trained as a priest 
is that if you are careful about how you spend money and you spend money for the focused reason of the people that you serve, you will never spend one day worried mm. that you did not take care of people well. Right. And I believe in that deeply. So, um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the, again, either the rest of your time yeah. in Houston or the intervening years before yeah. you got here? So I, I, the organization I was here before was actually called St. Martin's, served 7,000 people all experiencing homelessness. Okay. The most vulnerable of the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable. Okay. And all of those times, it was an organization that was about to go out of business. Mm. And it took me nine years to turn it around, and I'm... Bring, trying to bring that same kind of magic here to Maitri. Where was that? It was in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, okay. And New an Mexico. amazing place of lots of amazing people, just like San Francisco. And often when I say that, people are like, that's nothing like San Francisco. Well, people know, uh, if they haven't been, people. I think a lot of people these days know because of Breaking Bad. That's like, it. That's, that's their yeah. Albuquerque. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah, it is. Right. But, but that's not, not the people I hung out with, right? The, some people, sure. maybe. <laughs> so, and maybe, hey. yeah, maybe there were. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's strange because I think Albuquerque and San Francisco were places of great diversity mm-hmm. and amazing capacities to ignore the craziness of people who don't align with individual mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm. And that's here, and that's there. Okay. And you spent nine years? Nine years. There. Was your family still there? No. All, oh. Well, all of my family, or most of my family are dead. My mom and dad are dead. And, but my mother, I just want to give a quick side quirky story. Yes, please. My mom's family goes all the way back to some of the foundings of New Mexico. And okay. I want to give this as a quick side quirky Yes. My mother's family owned the first airport in Las Cruces, New wow. Mexico. My mom learned to drive a car on the runway. Wow. <laughs> For real. That's awesome. And the rumor is, Mother God, don't share this with a few thousand people that may see or hear this. <laughs> My mother may not have been under the influence of alcohol. Yeah. When she learned to drive yeah. on the drive while she was doing it on the runway in Las Cruces, New Mexico. If that's the case, then maybe it's good that she was in such an open yes, right. space with maybe not, yes, not many yes. cars. Yes, yes. Just, I guess, watch out for her airplanes. Yes, yes. <laughs> but so my family is deeply embedded in the politics and the culture of New Mexico. Uh, and so I think I come from those kinds of roots. But I also think those are the things that I love about San Francisco. Okay. Right? A place where culture and identity are respected, celebrated, quirky, Mm -hmm. unique, and strange. Mm -hmm. I bring strange. I live strange. Awesome. Don't say that. I am strange. We're strange. This is a great fit. Yes. Um, And then was was it straight here from? It was. Albuquerque? Right. And really, very short stories. My husband uh, is an executive with Xerox. And he is his entire life uh, wanted to live in San Francisco. And every year we come and stay for a long period of time. We vacation, we stay. We consider this kind of a second home. Mm -hmm. 
of Quirky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he wanted us to live here. And the opportunity came up. Do you remember your first visit here? Oh, my God, yes. Let's hear about Castro, that. Castro, 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 naked men, naked people, naked everywhere. And I loved it. <laughs> do you want to maybe draw it out a little no, bit? No, I do not. <laughs> but I can tell you, in confession, uh, it had to do with walking down. Actually, and everyone who has been to San Francisco has possibly seen one or two people not well dressed, mm-hmm. but well dressed, mm-hmm. with no clothing on, ah. and a delightful engagement mm-hmm. of why I think this place, one reason why this is wonderful. Not that they're not wearing clothing, but that we celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Right? So when your husband uh, first spring the idea, and then I'm guessing kept repeating the idea, yeah. there was no arm twisting. You were like, yeah, that's, let's go there. Oh, but wait. I made it seem as though, because as a human being, I am a good navigator of human character. Okay. That he would have to drag me here. Okay. But it, there was never, never uh, any resistance. I consider San Francisco one of the most stunning places to live. I love almost every day I get to meet people I could not imagine I could be a part of their lives. Right on. And even That's as I'm good. saying this to you, I have, I have tears. Yeah. Because I'm a bore. They're not. Hmm. For real. Right. So often, I mean, there are places in this country, and I've been to almost all of them but Alaska, mm-hmm. that I would never return to. Uh, my husband's name is Scott, and we have these rules. Actually, he calls them rusty rules. Okay. But they're rules, and you've seen many of them. But there are places in this country I will not live because I don't want to be afraid, mm. and I'm not willing to sacrifice the delight of what it means to be fully who we are. You, that was why you left the church? Yeah. Am I right? I mean, That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, you can be, but don't act. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, and then lastly, when, when was it that you and Scott made the move? Four years ago. Oh, four just years four ago. years ago. Okay. Just four years ago. But you said oh, you had been coming out a Every lot. year, every year for three, five, eight times. Okay. This was our place not to escape, but to blow it up. And that means in everything. I just want to say, uh, I am a Caucasian white person who burns at the very notion or speaking of sunlight. Uh, So I did not, and I do not, and I have not come to San Francisco to go to the ocean. Yeah. I only look at it. Uh, It's pretty. Beautiful. And our dogs. Oh, my God. Tater Tot and Oreo love the beach. I put so much sunscreen on and hat and covering that I will not sizzle. Uh, But no, uh, I came here primarily and always so many years ago so that we could look at the culture, be a part of the culture, and explore what it means to become ourselves. I love it. Uh, We'll pause with you, I think, because we've got you here now. Tomas, let's hear your story. I grew up in Modesto, so that's Central Valley, California. 
uh, lots of farms around everything, mm-hmm. but it's the, you know, the big city uh, in the area that everybody loves. You know, everyone says fruits and nuts come to California, yes. right? Uh, that's actually, they're all around Modesto. Fruits, fruits, and, fruits nuts. and nuts. Yes. Yeah. Um, my grandpa actually, he uh, grew up with in the valley and with a bunch of farmers. Okay, was um, he a farmer as well? I, he worked farms. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think his family ever was farmers, but okay. he had plenty of time where he was an almond farmer um, working uh, farms, and he always told me that it wasn't an almond when it was on the ground because you mm. knock the L out of it. Oh, and it is, God. yeah, it, it sticks to my head. So anytime I walk by any like almond orchard or anything, I'm just like, uh, almonds, but they're almonds on the ground. I love the, uh, that's al- <laughs> I, almond humor. I don't think I've ever heard an almond joke before. Yeah, it's that's great. the worst joke, but it's like, it's one of those things that like always sticks out in my head when I like pass by farmland is that like really dumb joke for my grandpa. And I'm just like, ah. Oh, Thank you for this, yeah. because it is such the like groaner humor that he was all about. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Modesto. Um, my grandpa, like I said, uh, he uh, was from the valley. He grew up in Gustine and Denaire, uh, so a bunch of tiny, tiny small towns. Not just, even on ninety nine. Yeah, no, right. just in the middle of farmland. Yeah. <laughs> And he like definitely flat. Could you see the mountains? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, like you saw your aspirations. <laughs> I basically yeah. Modesto is great because it's you know close enough to everything that you can kind of see like you know do I want to go live in the mountains, go skiing and do all the like wintry things, or you know you have with traffic three hours or so to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is that where I want to be? And mm. yeah, I mean, for me, it was really just realizing I did not want Modesto. That was <laughs> Step one. not going to be the thing for me. Right. Um, and when I was, I think my junior year of high school, I met a step half uncle mm-hmm. uh, who basically just like came out of nowhere and was like, hey, I've got the school that you're going to go to. And I was like, who are you? What? Uh, And my aunt paid for me to get like a free flight out there to like visit the school because it was her half brother. And like she loved like that idea of like connecting me to that side of the family and everything. And I was like, what? Time off from school? Sure. Of course I'll go. Paid for. Um, (laughs) So I went on a like, you know, long weekend and it was in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Okay. At this tiny school that no one has ever heard of <laughs> called Wofford. Okay. Uh, it is the smallest division one school in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when I was there, it was just over 1400 students. Wow. That's uh, smaller than my high school. Yeah. It was oh, about yeah. half the size of my high school. So I went there and I realized this is awesome. I love this. Like, this is really cool. It's super pretty. I uh, highly recommend visiting South Carolina. Just Beautiful visiting. part of the world. Driving through. With interesting um, people in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. And it was a really great time, like, going to school there. Um, you get a lot of individual attention when there's only 1,400 students. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say that's probably a good 
Yeah. Well, good good uh, learning experience. No, I mean, it was wonderful because you got tons of, like, uh, time with your professors. You got to develop deep relationships with people. Um, and then after four years, it was just like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, <laughs> right. Not doing the South. Yeah. Uh, not doing any of this, but didn't know where or what or how to do anything. Uh, so I went back to Modesto. Were you 22, 23? Uh, I was, or, you know, I think like I that. just turned 22. Okay, got yeah. Uh, and I was just like, cool, going back to Modesto, and I'll figure things out. Mm -hmm. And about a week in Modesto, I was like, cool, can't do this. Right. Mm. Uh, forgot, this is why I left. Um, <laughs> and, you know, started just like immediately applying and like searching, trying to just get any and every job that was not in and around Modesto. Uh, How long ago was this? So this was 2011. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're already like looking at job boards and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, on all online. So no. Right. <laughs> and yeah. So when I was doing that search, I kept finding myself just going back to like San Francisco and the Bay Area. And I was like, oh, right. That like place I kept visiting, like, you know, all growing up. And yes, I really like San Francisco. That was Tomas Moreno, and before him, Rusty Smith. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Rusty and Tomas will tell us about all the work they and others do at Maitree. Part two comes out this Thursday. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love that. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.